Father, we thank you, Lord, just for your word. We thank you just for this, this series. It's such an encouragement, Lord, that we must be bold. We must endure suffering for the gospel, Lord. And we just pray now, um, like it was prayed earlier, that you will soften our hearts, that you will open our eyes to the beauty of your word, to the beauty of your gospel. And may we walk out of here just a changed person, Lord, because of your word, because of your Holy Spirit. Be with us now. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, today, technology is, is beneficial in helping us find a church. Maybe some of us here found Gateway, maybe through Nine Marks or, or the Gospel Coalition, which can be very, very helpful. I know... Matt and Allie, I know they're, they're going to be looking uh, through those various means of technology and finding a church in Houston. Um, I've told this story before. Uh, when, my, when my wife and I moved to the area, uh, we didn't have that many resources like Nine Marks. Um, therefore, we started to check out churches by physically going to the church. I mean, you, you can only get so much information from the website. So we started visiting other churches. Um, and I could put plenty of churches into different categories, meaning teaching style, music, and, and just other categories and putting into as far as the various churches are concerned, right? Um, however, I can tell you that there were some churches, one in particular, where they never opened up the Word of God. I remember the, 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 the pastor just going on stage, and, and he left the Bible just, you know, somewhere on stage, and he just started talking. Started talking about himself, started telling stories about himself. Um, there was a lot of praise of self from this so-called pastor. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but I did some research a couple weeks ago, and, and that church does not exist anymore. I want to be careful. I mean, that doesn't mean that churches who close its doors are not preaching the Word of God. But Scripture warns us of such things. And it's found in our text today. I mean, if the word of God is not central, God will eventually weed out these types of teachers. I believe if my wife and I were mature enough to exercise biblical discernment in that particular situation. I mean, we had the right view of ecclesiology. That's the study of the church. And it helped us in our situation. Looking back, it helped me understand that we really are living in the last days, speaking in the context of our passage today. One of the most striking things we get from the Word of God is that it presents both light and dark aspects of the truth, pleasant and unpleasant aspects of the truth, positive and negative viewpoints. It speaks of the glory of heaven and the severity of hell. It also speaks of encouragement and warning. This morning, we have a prophetic warning of godlessness in the last days. My aim this morning is this. We are called to have biblical discernment in the last days. We are called to have biblical discernment in the last days. I mean, really, that's, that's the main thrust of the passage. As you're reading through this, think about discernment discernment, discernment. And Paul doesn't hold back, which takes us to our first point this morning. Paul warns us about the danger of the times. 
verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. The warning may sound familiar to Paul's first letter to Timothy found in chapter 4, verses verses 1 to 3. Let me read it for you. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars where consciences are seared. Look, Paul wants Timothy to understand this, to understand about the last days. That, that word understand is the first of two commands or imperatives in our passage today. Paul's saying to Timothy, I want you to learn or be familiar with what's going on here, Timothy. I want you to realize or understand that in the last days, it will be difficult. More on that phrase, times of difficulty, in, in, in a moment here. But let me, let me get back to what are the last days? What is Paul referring to here? Friends, these are the last days, the days that we're living in. Paul lived in the last days. Timothy was living in the last days. The apostles experienced the last days. The last days represent the first coming of Christ where he established himself as Savior of the world until he comes again in eternal glory. That's between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the last days. That's the whole age. This is the long dispensation that Paul, Timothy, and the history of the church and ourselves are living through today. These are the last days, and we're living in it as well. Now, in Timothy's context, in his present situation, he was facing terrible or difficult times. I mean, he was going to face them. Paul was, was facing them as one. He faced them throughout his whole ministry. I mean, and, yeah, con- Timothy would continue to face the last days as he continued his ministry from Paul. Therefore, we must be aware what we are seeing here. It's not the future coming, but it's now. And we learn what the last days look like. The word here, difficult, I don't think it does the text justice. In the original Greek, the word really is fierce, right? It's different than difficult. I mean, when I write a term paper, that's difficult. But you put the word fierce or dangerous, that brings it up a notch. It gives the, the depiction that the times will definitely be hard. Now, the context you must be reminded of here is Paul writing to Timothy, not about the Greco-Roman world around him, but really the life of the church being influenced by the wickedness of the culture. And we'll see the wickedness of the culture that will creep in into the church shortly. This is the type of culture that was attacking the Ephesian church. Let me read to you. If you remember Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders before his departing, In Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31, let me read this for you. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The Ephesian church had to be ready for the false teachers coming in. Why? We'll look at verse 5 in our text. It says, but they had the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. There will be fierce times in the church. There will be fierce wolves in the church. Evil will influence and attack the church at all costs, not sparing the flock. Going back to chapter 2, that's why Timothy had to be, what does it say in verse 3? He had to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, to do his best, present himself to God as one approved, a worker who had no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In chapter 2, verse 21, a vessel for honorable use. Paul was preparing Timothy. Fierce times were ahead. Timothy had to be ready to battle evil. Now, as a reminder, it's, it's not saying that there will be total and continuous evil, although it may seem like it, it is today. But there will be periods or seasons in the history of the church where Christians would face gospel suffering in light of dangerous times. Just a word of warning here. I know, I know Pastor Rod has, has went, or went through a couple things as, as far as um, future predictions, but let's not assume that we are in the last days of the last days. What I mean by that, that the end is near. I mean, we, we must be careful in thinking that way. And we must not get caught up in thinking that the end is near. Because we, we don't know. That's what the Bible, we, we'll never know. You come now, you come 50 years from now. But the reminder here is this. I mean, day after day, we fight and suffer hardship for the gospel. When we see what's in the world, let's not automatically assume that the end is near but we press on living in these last days. So what, is all, what does all this mean? What are the implications of the church today? It means that we should not expect the Christian life to get any easier. But we need to understand that we live in a fallen world in which we will encounter dangerous times. Paul tells Timothy what's ahead the danger he would encounter. Now, in our next point, he gives us the description of the times. The description of the times. Verses 2 to 5. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. We see the, here the, the, character, the characterization of godlessness in the false teachers. This is, the wicked, this is wickedness through and through. I mean, does this list sound familiar? In, in Paul's writings, it should... I mean, this is Romans 1, right? If we recall Romans 1, we see the progression of wickedness to depravity. And then God eventually is giving them up. Let's turn there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that for you. Just a couple verses. In Romans 1, 
chapter 1, starting with verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the disarming of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served a creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, he'll say it again, God gave them up to, the, to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And this is important, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God a third time, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is wickedness in the last days. And that's what's going on here. That's total depravity, and we'll get to that. Paul experienced the wickedness of the last days. And he saw this. He wasn't just sitting in prison, just kind of marking these things, thinking about it. This is what he experienced in his ministry, throughout the course of his ministry. He's been through the battle. It was out there. Therefore, Paul puts this list back into our passage today in 2 Timothy 3 for you and I as a dire warning. Really, church, consider this a checklist. A checklist for pastors, for elders, for teachers, for leaders of the church, and also the the church as a whole, to know what to look for in dangerous times. Also, let this be a checklist for us. Maybe our own personal lives need attention. If one or more of these characteristics describe our, our our, our walk in life, we need to be careful. This is a warning for us today. We must not take it lightly. This morning, I'm, I'm going to go through these descriptions to kind of help flesh it out. Um, I'm going to throw some original meanings in there. But just kind of thinking through this list, you know, I advise you, maybe, maybe over Thanksgiving as you're going through godlessness and you're eating, um, to, just kinda, to, to, to just kind of go over this list and to flesh it out and to really think about this list. I mean, I just sat there and I was just naming things from this list. It'll give you a full understanding. So I counted. I know in some translations there's 18. I think in the ESV there's 19. That's what I counted here. Uh, I'll go through it fairly quickly. Um, If you need a copy, I could always send it to you. Number one, for people will be lovers of self. That's narcissistic. That's narcissism, right? Friends, if there ever was a time of a narcissistic age in the context of self-love, we're seeing it. We're seeing it. 
Lovers of money. That's greedy. That's greed. That's, that's a, the, the prosperity gospel which Pastor Rod touched upon. Proud. Number three, proud. That's self-importance in all things. Right? I mean, how many rock star pastors are out there? Arrogant. That's, high, that's a high opinion of self. Abusive. Verbal abuse. False teachers inflicting guilt upon people by their words. Number six, disobedient to their parents. That's rebellious to a rebellion or rebellious to authority. The attack on families is prevalent in our society today, and we are becoming more of a rebellious generation. Seven, ungrateful. That word is unthankful in terms of false teachers that they think they deserve everything. Unholy, licentious living, antinomianism. I mean, that's, that's free to sin. That's grace, 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 which is good. But there, there's a disregard for the law. The law is there so that we could embrace the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Number nine, heartless, no love for others, no sympathy for those really in need. Next, unappeasable, no forgiveness, no mercy for others. That's ravenous wolves that we just read. Number 11, slanderous, twisting words. In the Greek, that's, that's really devilish. Twisting words for their own gain. How many times have we, have we seen that or heard about that? Without self-control. That's submitting to other passions. Brutal. Savage to others. There's no tenderness there. Remember Paul, when he writes to Timothy in chapter 2, you then my, my child. That's a tender heart of Paul. But in the false teachers, there's no tenderness. Not loving good. There's no morality. 15, treacherous, betraying people, betraying the word, using it, again, to their own advantage. Reckless, that's a loose cannon. Lack of wisdom in making decisions. 17, swollen with conceit, foolish and blind to others around you, thinking of yourself. 18, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's idolatry. Loving everything else but God. Lastly, 19, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's using God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to his or her own advantage. This is the deceptiveness that is going in the life of the false teacher. This is the danger that we will see, that we are seeing in the last days. So what must we do? Well, look at our text. What does it say? It says, avoid such people. That's the second imperative. That's the second command. Avoid such people. Remember, Paul has seen it all. 
And so we are to avoid these imposters. Now, what does avoid mean here? Surely it doesn't mean to barricade yourself in your home, stock up on a lifetime supply of food and water, and have your Bible and family. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you stop going to your secular job or stop drinking at Starbucks over a red cup. It doesn't mean we only bank with Christian bankers, buy from Christian bakers, eat at Christian restaurants. I mean, if Pete's Coffee is right across the street, I'm not going to drive across town to go to the Christian cafe. Yes, there are times we want to support other Christians. I get that. I believe in that too. But we must exercise wisdom in doing so. I mean, without us being in the secular world, how can others see Jesus? We must, be, we must wisely be the light of the world as Jesus has called us to do. That's what he says in Matthew. We must talk and act in our jobs, in our secular jobs, in our secular context. We must talk and act as if our treasure is in heaven and not on this earth. We must be the light of the world. It's the only way people will see the light. Therefore, here's what Paul's saying. Avoid people who are proclaiming themselves to be Christians and teachers of the Christian truth in churches, that they may appear to be godly, but they have no power. And Timothy, here's the list. Here's what wickedness looks like. Avoid it. Not only do we see the wickedness of the times, but we see the direction in where these false teachers are heading, which brings us to our third point, the direction of the times. Verses 6 to 7, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. What we see here is the strategy of the false teachers. The word creep here is, is a secretive, it's a warming action. It means among the false teachers, uh, among those, the false teachers, they're going to sneak up on you. They creep into households. Here's the point. A false teacher makes it easier to exercise his or her motive when they get a family or individual loan as opposed to, to a church or Christian school setting. What do, I, what do I mean by this? Why do false teachers go after you in isolation? Because they want to pull you apart from the church. They want to isolate you. If a false teacher comes into your Sunday school class and teaches a false gospel, the church will help you see the truth. If a false teacher comes into Redwood Christian School, hopefully there are teachers that are going to point out their errors. You see, false teachers pick on families. They come into your home when there's nobody there to help you. That's what they want. They want to cut you off and isolate you from your source of strength, which is the body of Christ. This is one of the many reasons for the church, the body of Christ. One of the many reasons for the church, the body of Christ. Why? We come to worship the king here. We come to sing to the king. We come and sit under the preaching of God's word, which points you to the king. 
We fellowship with the body of Christ because God uses the church to protect and strengthen us. We want to care for your soul because that's what we are called to do. The, re- the relationship we have in the church is like no other because it carries over to eternity. But l- let me press a little more here. We don't have membership just to have it. We have it because it's biblical. The right view of Christ will encourage you to have a right view of church. If something happens, we will always, in almost all cases, support and love you, whether this is your first Sunday here or your 40th Sunday here. Therefore, when people creep, when false teachers enter secretly into your life, we, the body, the church, are here to protect you. Now, Paul gets even more specific here. False teachers capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. What does Paul mean here? Surely Paul is not saying women in general are weak. We don't get that. If we remember in chapter 1 in 2 Timothy where he praises two particular women in Timothy's life, who were they? They are women of sincere faith. Let me read to you chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Paul is not saying women are weak. What Paul is saying here is, is false teachers creep into households and pick on those who do not have a grasp of biblical truth and take them captive. They try to control them. If you, if you ever watch the televangelists, or if you ever watch um, what's going on, on on some of these prosperity gospel TVs, I mean, the majority you see, are, they're women. The literal definition of weak woman here, it means really little woman, or, or childish, or immature. Really, there's a lack of spiritual discernment. Remember the thrust? Discernment. There's a lack of spiritual discernment in the life of a person who is burdened with sins and various passions. The mind and the heart, listen to this, the mind and the heart have not been sufficiently formed by biblical truth, which enables one to have spiritual discernment. Additionally, we see Paul describe these women as people who are led by emotions, Burdened with sins, following other passions that consume them, which means they, they act on impulse. They don't understand that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. These women are weighed down by this, their sins, not knowing that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin, so that in Him we have become the righteousness of God. You know, I had a coworker a former coworker who, who told me stories about his sick grandmother sitting in front of the TV, listening to the televangelists, selling holy water, offering prayers for financial exchange. I mean, this is what turned him off to Christianity. He told me that his grandmother would just be in front of the TV all day, hoping she'll be healed from her illnesses. That's the example here of women who have no spiritual discernment 
It would be, you know, another example. It would be like one person just maybe quoting Joel Osteen one day on Facebook, and the next day she'll quote John MacArthur. It's like you're always learning, but, I mean, I I haven't seen it here, thank God. Um, But it's just you're always learning, but you're never landing. You're, You're never getting the knowledge of the truth. No spiritual or biblical discernment. If we are not formed by biblical truth, we are easy prey. Weak-minded people don't understand or fully acknowledge the gospel. They they don't understand that although we are poor and weak, Jesus makes us strong. Although we may have lost all things, it is because of Christ that we have everything. Friends, we are free to lose because Jesus has already conquered. The weight of sin is broken by the weight of the gospel because the gospel has overtaken us. We will never arrive at the knowledge of the truth unless we understand and believe that the truth, Jesus Christ, is what sets us free. So far, we've seen the danger of the times, the description of wickedness, and the direction of false teachers. Lastly, we see the depravity in the minds of false teachers. Verses 8 and 9, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Janus and Jambres are not mentioned in the book of Exodus or anywhere else in the Old Testament. Some say that they were among the magicians in Pharaoh's court found in Exodus 7 and the following chapters. They were the ones who, who duplicated some of the miracles performed by Moses, right? I mean, what, what happens? If you read through the book of Exodus or that particular time, only three miracles actually happened, I think, out of ten. They're, what happens? Their power died out. They were, they were exposed. So what Paul's trying to say here is that they represent, that these false prophets represent people who oppose the truth of the gospel and have a depraved mind and that they will not get very far. That's Romans 1 again, the depraved mind. Eventually, their path toward destruction is uncovered. And as the text says, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. This is what Paul had in mind when he's bringing in these examples in the text. The creeping false teachers of truth may not get spotted immediately. They might perform some things. They might have the appearance of godliness, but eventually they'll get caught. Falsehood would not survive, will not survive. God will always protect his sheep. He'll always protect his word. Therefore, these false teachers will not get very far. Let me conclude here. Let me, let me go back to the list, the reminder of wickedness. I know I've been, I've been reading it and reading it. I want it to get into our heads. The reality of depravity. It hurts reading this list that Paul gives us. I mean, really, it should hurt us. This is the world that we're living in. But remember this. At one point in time, we were once like this. 
Our salvation story starts out ugly. We are sinful creatures. We, before God saved us, were lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to our parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me have you turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Friends, we were, we were once dead. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in, son, in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I once heard an illustration of the gospel. I'm sure some of us heard this before. Where the picture of our salvation story goes like this. We, we were drowning in the ocean until God... We were drowning in the ocean until God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was our life saver. And all we had to do to be saved was touch it. Friends, that is an inaccurate view of the gospel. We were not drowning in the ocean, but we were dead at the bottom of the sea, plunged in the depths of our sins, but God, one of the most beautiful phrases you read in the Bible, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to leave the kingdom to save us from the depths of our sins, from the bottom of the ocean where he pulled us out and he breathed life into us. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. Repenting and believing in the gospel is the first step in exercising biblical discernment. Let us pray. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. But it is through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, where we are made righteous in your eyes. Nothing we do, Father, will save us. It is all your work. You stir our hearts. You open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Lord, we are living in the last days, and it is a scary time. But, Father, we are thankful for your word, that we need to be ready. And as a church, we come together, protecting each other, the elders, the leaders, our pastor, they're here to protect us. And so, Lord, we pray that we always cling to you and that we always live in the context of the body of Christ. Your word will stand forever. That will change us. Give us biblical discernment now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.